0: Chapter 11. Pressing forward in Zion to the end, rejoicing, weeping, testifying, and departing. Wherefore, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if you shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. 2 Nephi 31.20. The loss of beloved Sarah. At the conclusion of the great trial wherein Abraham nearly sacrificed his son, according to the Quran, a heavenly voice pronounced, Peace be upon you, Abraham. The ancient book of Jubilees similarly reports God's last words to Abraham on Mount Moriah as, Go in peace. Peace is a precious thing, explains the Midrash Rabbah. Since for all the deeds and meritorious acts which our father Abraham accomplished, the only reward given to him was peace, It seems but an expression of truth revealed to Latter-day Saints that while the ultimate reward for righteousness is life eternal, the interim reward in this life is peace. One modern writer imagined, and it may have been so, that as Abraham walked back down the mountain, his face shone like the face of an angel of God, a phenomenon that would recur repeatedly among his righteous descendants after the Spirit rested mightily upon them. Back in Beersheba... Abraham lived joyfully for many years, spreading blessings for his fellow men. Another modern writer imagined that upon his return from Moriah, Sarah noted his hair was silver and his beard as white as washed lamb's wool, but more a certain whiteness of his soul shining in his face and looking out of eyes grown deep with suffering turned to joy. Abraham had indeed been transformed, and although God's revelation on Mount Moriah constitutes the last recorded revelation of Abraham's life, yet in a very important sense it was not the end but the beginning of the kind of divine fellowship not seen on the earth since the days of Enoch Zion. For according to Joseph Smith, when a man obtains his calling and election, made sure, as did Abraham on Mount Moriah, He will have the personage of jesus christ to attend him or appear unto him from time to time and even he will manifest the father unto him and they will take up their abode with him and the visions of heaven will be opened unto him and the lord will teach him face to face and he may have a perfect knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom of god while this description obviously includes some of abraham's earlier encounters with god yet it is clear that he was now closer to god than ever before It may well be that the greatest revelations of Abraham's long life came during these closing years, revelations of which we currently have no record. In any event, the type of fellowship he now enjoyed with the Almighty seems to have been that enjoyed by Enoch and his city when the Lord came and dwelt with them. And if Enoch had walked with God, so now did Abraham, beginning his walk to Moriah, whereby he qualified to do what the Lord had commanded years earlier, to live in his presence." Zion, in her glory, was again on the earth. Again the God of heaven dwelt with men on earth. Like Enoch, one writer noted of Abraham, he walked with God and lived on terms of fellowship with God, so as had not been seen for many generations. Thus had Abraham entered into what Book of Mormon writers call the rest of the Lord. By a lifetime of service that would qualify anyone, it would seem, for a peaceful and reflective retirement, but the exemplary nature of Abraham's long life, he would live another five decades after the trial on Mount Moriah, to the ripe age of a hundred and seventy five years, extends to the very finish line of mortality as he demonstrated how his descendants must press forward with hope and faith and endure in their efforts to the end of mortality. The Testament of Abraham, the document relating Abraham's death, attests to his loving service to mankind to the very end of his days, There was no quiet retirement period, no waning commitment or diminished service, but a perfect example of what Nephi says about enduring to the end. Abraham's pattern of persistence to the end is remarkably repeated in the lives of latter-day prophets, descendants of Abraham and heirs to his authority. Like that model of selfless endurance, President Gordon B. Hinckley. Following his years in Beersheba... Abraham moved his family back to Hebron, where, according to Muslim tradition, he was directed to build yet another sanctuary or temple. At Hebron, he experienced the last major recorded trial of his life, the death of Sarah at the age of 127 years. As recounted by Genesis, which also tells that the, the place of her burial, of no other woman are the days and years of her life and the place of her burial recorded in scripture, notes an ancient Jewish text, demonstrating the uniqueness of this woman. What kind of person was this regal woman, and what constituted the uniqueness of her personality? Jewish tradition answers in terms of her loyalty and love for her husband, whom she had followed, in all his ways, and joined in life's path and purpose. In her own words, once spoken to Abraham, as reported in the fragmentary Targum, I forsook my land and my childhood in the house of my father, and I went with you in the faith of the heavens. And what a journey it had been! she was observes philo continually at his side as his dearly beloved long life partner accepting in stride both the good and ill showing her wifely love by numerous numberless proofs by sharing with him the severance from his kinfolk by bearing without hesitation the departure from her homeland the continual and unceasing wanderings on a foreign soil and privation and famine and by the campaigns in which she accompanied him she could have traded it all for the dazzling wealth and power that the mighty king of egypt the later the king of gerar had offered her on a silver platter to become their favorite wife and queen of their realm but she chose to be faithful to her covenants and to her husband whose revelation she believed and to whose counsel she hearkened she had grown old believing faithful still in her undying love and service and when her childbearing capacity had long passed angels from a high from on high brought a miraculous blessing of renewal granting her the inexpressible joy of the son she had long awaited and such had the lord arranged her life that the fulfillment of the promises to her of a son pointed ahead with clarity to the greater fulfillment of her descendant who would also be born by miraculous means born to bring joy to the world and the blessing of eternal life to her and her husband and their righteous posterity In the end, it would ever be remembered that she refused the queenship of the world to attain her celestial queenship, and therefore became the paradigm of what the Lord instructed Emma Smith. Thou shalt lay aside the things of this world, and seek for the things of a better. The 19th century British clergyman Henry Blunt observed, Sarah is the pattern of conjugal fidelity and love. Her example is held forth by the Apostle Peter as the highest model for Christian women and the title of her daughters as her most honorable distinction the very fact that so few of the incidents of her history are recorded speaks strongly in her favor for there is little in the even tenor of life when that life is passed in the unobtrusive and noiseless path of devotedness to god and in the peaceful round of domestic duties which can and ought to form the subject of the chronicler the very privacy of the Christian graces, manifested in such a walk and conversation, endears them the more to the few who have the opportunity of intimately knowing their value and daily and hourly appreciating their loveliness and worth. Greatness, observed Elder Neely Maxwell, is the measure by coverage in column inches, either in newspapers or in the Scriptures. The story of the women of God is, for now, an untold drama within a drama to remain so until the real history of mankind is fully disclosed. Only in time will the faithful daughters and sons of Sarah know the fuller story of her quiet selflessness that built Zion in her home and made possible the rest of the Abraham story. But even in the small part of the story we have, we have seen her reach out with her husband to lovingly welcome the hungry and the needy to provide for their needs to encourage the discouraged and downtrodden, to preach the gospel and teach the ways of the Lord, in short, to be a full partner with Abraham in building Zion. Jewish tradition remembers that Sarah was perfect in wisdom and beauty, in innocence and accomplishment, in consistency. Her life was a tapestry of perfection, being without blemish and of complete faith, of such great faith, in fact, that she, like her husband, had foreseen the history of her descendants and had petitioned God to aid them in their tribulation. If her spiritual vision at times exceeded even that of Abraham, she was always his ardent support, sharing her unique insight, but ever faithful in hearkening to his counsel and thereby keeping her covenants, and maintaining that precious unity of heart found only in Zion. No wonder Abraham wept at the loss of a sweetheart, she whose heart had constantly been knit together with his in love, in this Zion marriage. Now his beloved Sarah was gone. She was whom he had toiled, planned, hoped, suffered, and rejoiced together during a long life. Now she was silent in death, and no one could share his personal pain. But even in this loss, says Jubilees, he was found to be faithful and patient in spirit, and was recorded on the heavenly tablets as the friend of the Lord. In fact, Jewish tradition tells of him reaching out and offering consolation to others, for the death of Sarah was a loss not only for Abraham, but the whole country. As the goodness of her life had left an indelible mark on the world it is said that the widows and the number numerous children to whom sarah had done so much good came to weep for her and there was a very great mourning for her such that abraham was greeted by throngs of people grieving over her passing these abraham comforted eulogizing sarah for her unparalleled goodness and kindness and particularly praising her preeminence as a mother One Midrash maintains that although Genesis omits the actual words of Abraham's eulogy at Sarah's funeral, that eulogy is, in fact, preserved in chapter 31 of Proverbs, which speaks of the woman of virtue or woman of valor. Her memory is constantly kept alive in Jewish homes where, in the traditional service welcoming the weekly Sabbath, parents pronounce the blessing on their daughters that God should establish you as he did Sarah. As Abraham did not complain at Sarah's death, neither did he murmur at the irony of having to purchase the burial plot from the then owner. Abraham was overgenerous in the transaction, paying more than what the land was worth. He never drove a hard bargain, notes Hugh Nibli, not even with the generous Ephron the Hittite, who had, would have given him the burial cave for nothing. A stranger in a strange land, marvels one modern writer, owning no foot of earth in a country that had been given to him by the Almighty, Abraham must buy a burial place for his dead. As Jewish texts say, come and see the humility of Abraham our father, for he has, for he said nothing about the promise of the land, which said that the Lord would give it to him and his descendants after him, but simply purchased the plot of ground called the Cave of Machpelah, God would later tell Moses, according to the Midrashabah, I said unto Abraham, Arise, walk through the land, for I will give it unto thee. Afterwards he sought to bury Sarah, and did not find where until he purchased a place with money. Yet he did not question my ways. For some four decades in the spirit world, Sarah would await the arrival of her beloved husband, whose body would finally be laid to rest alongside hers in the cave of Machpelah. Over their graves, a mosque would eventually be erected, which in the words of one writer, stands even unto our day as a monument to that divine injunction, what God hath joined together let no man put asunder. In fact, the word Machpelah itself was understood by early translations to mean double, referring accordingly to some rabbinic sources to the fact that Abraham and Sarah were eventually laid to rest as a couple, as would be Isaac and Jacob and their wives in the same cave. Centuries later, after their descendants had erected the Jerusalem temple, the temple service was not begun until the priestly lookout saw the sun's rays shining over the graves of the patriarchs. But Jewish Kabbalistic sources interpret the word Machpelah to mean a doubling of the Hebrew letter He, and thereby a veiled reference to the Lord's own name, Yahweh, which contains two such letters. It was the Lord himself who had changed Abram's name by adding the letter He, resulting in Abraham, or father of a multitude, the name that God urgently spoke twice to stay Abraham's hand on Mount Moriah and to place upon him the divine seal of his exaltation. In this sense of the word, Machpelah seems particularly fitting to memorialize the temporary resting place of the mortal bodies of Abraham and Sarah, who, because of the Lord's priesthood power that had joined and sealed them as an eternal couple, would be inseparable not only in mortality but also in a future world. As God is not a God of the dead but of the living, so Abraham and Sarah would rise together in the resurrection, for the righteous will be joined by their wives in the world to come, says the Midrash. Then shall they become gods, declares Latter day Revelation, enjoying a fullness of the continuation of their seeds forever and ever and then would be then the noble sarah she would for so many years longed for posterity and mortality become indeed a mother of a multitude as her posterity would increase like the stars of heaven teaching and preparing his posterity during the ensuing years fulfillment of the divine promises to abraham seemed to crescendo isaac married the wife that abraham selected while abraham himself knowing that he was yet to have more offspring married a woman named keturah who, accordingly, who, according to an early Christian source, was the daughter of a powerful desert monarch. With Keturah, Abraham fathered six sons. That he took yet a fourth wife is asserted by an early Muslim tradition, repeated by both Al-Tabari and Al-Tathlabi, a tradition that seems to be sustained by the Lord's statement in Latter-day Revelation that Abraham received concubines and they bore him children, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Keturah would not be a concubine, a secondary wife, for Sarah was no longer alive. So the only way Abraham would end up with more than one concubine is if he married yet a fourth wife while Keturah, the primary wife, was still alive. By this fourth wife, according to Islamic tradition, Abraham fathered five additional sons. Both Jewish and Islamic tradition mention that Abraham also had at least one daughter. Little is said of her except that Abraham loved her dearly and taught her all that he had learned, and she was the center of Abraham's household. Later, after his passing, she is said to have carried his teachings far and wide. But Abraham was a father in more than a biological sense. From a variety of ancient sources we know, for example, that he taught his children to love God and keep his commandments. He taught them to love their fellow men and to serve them by acts of loving kindness. He counseled his family on important matters. He exercised his priesthood in giving blessings to his family. He instructed family members in their individual roles and missions. He transmitted to his family the wisdom that he had attained, and he carefully administered to his family the ordinances, including the signs and oaths accompanying the mystery of redemption, or temple ordinances. One 19th century rabbi suggested that the secret societies that transmitted the mysteries in the Mediterranean world, a millennium after Abraham, were transmitting forms of knowledge whose origin had flowed from Abraham. With the latter-day restoration of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith came the restoration of the Abrahamic temple truths and ordinances in their purity. Abraham also transmitted to his posterity the written records he had made, as he says in the book of Abraham, for the benefit of my posterity that shall come after me abraham's writings are not mentioned in the bible but are referred to in numerous ancient sources which indicate that these writings were handed down through the generations and highly prized as mentioned in the quran for example the descendants of ishmael had the books of abraham or the scriptures of abraham more evidence of the extent and content of those records is found among isaac's descendants There is a tradition, reports the Talmud, that the Tractate on Idolatry of our father Abraham contained 400 chapters. The Talmud further mentions a book of Jasher as being a book of Abraham, and asserts that Abraham is the author of Psalms 89, or at least a part of it. Jewish tradition further attributes the Sefer Yetzirah, a text on creation, to Abraham, and specifically tells that it was one of the books that Abraham's grandson Jacob possessed. Among Alexandrian scholars in the 3rd century BC, Abraham was acknowledged as the authoritative author on the subject of astronomy, and scholars in early centuries AD even claimed to quote from his astronomical writings. An early Christian sect had a book that they called the Revelation of Abraham, and the Zoroastrians purportedly had books written by Abraham. The Qumran community on the shores of the Dead Sea had what scholars now call the Genesis Apocryphon most of which is an account of Abraham, and most of that is written in first person. And the Apocalypse of Abraham is entirely written in first person, as is the book of Abraham. Such records guided Abraham's posterity and strengthened them in times of trial and temptation, as dramatically seen with Joseph in Egypt, who, when tempted by Potiphar's wife, received strength to resist when he remembered the Lord and what his father Jacob would read to him from the words of Abraham, that no one in is to commit adultery for latter-day saints the book of abraham is the crown jewel of abrahamic texts a remarkably concise work that as Nibley comments answers with astonishing economy the most fundamental and baffling questions of our existence including questions like where did i come from why am i here how did it all begin and how will it end no wonder wilford woodruff referred to it as one of our rich treasures the book of abraham provides both exhilarating perspective and a proven pattern for latter-day saints The genius of the book of Abraham is that interwoven through the description of momentous events is a panorama of mankind's divine origin and potential. As literal spirit offspring of God, we are sent into mortality to be proven and to see if we will do all things whatsoever the Lord our God shall command us, so that we can have glory added upon our heads forever and ever. Parley Pratt noted that in Abraham's record we see unfolded our eternal being. Our existence before the world was our high and responsible station in the councils of the Holy One, and our eternal destiny. The book of Abraham even describes the road to that highest destiny, strictly obeying all God's commandments, diligently seeking righteousness and peace, making and keeping sacred covenants, receiving the priesthood and sacred ordinances, building a family unit, searching the scriptures, keeping journals and records, sharing the gospel, and proving faithful in the face of opposition, all works of Abraham who is as much a model for latter-day saints as he was in ages past for those aspiring to be the people of god all this from the tiny book of abraham even though we currently only have the first part of the book how did it end judging from the apocalypse of abraham the primary focus of abraham's writing was to bear testimony of the son of god and his marvelous works including his creations his future mortal ministry and his second coming in glory Abraham further transmitted all priestly authority necessary for his descendants to establish Zion. Abraham undoubtedly ordained Isaac to the patriarchal priesthood authority, and then saw that his grandson Jacob would be Isaac's successor. Abraham explained to his daughter-in-law Rebekah that all the blessings that the Lord has promised me and my descendants shall be Jacob's and his descendants always, and by his descendants shall my name be blessed, and the names of my fathers, Shem and Noah and Enoch, Machalil, Enosh, Shesh, Seth, and Adam. Furthermore, says Abraham, his descendants shall serve to lay the foundations of heaven. The language seems to recall that the city of foundations, even the latter-day Zion, to which Abraham was looking ahead. Then summoning Jacob, Abraham proceeded to ordain him to the patriarchal order of the priesthood, pronouncing upon him all the blessings of Adam and Enoch and Noah and Shem. No wonder that President Spencer W. Kimball recommended Abraham as a model that will lift and elevate any father in this church who wishes to become a true patriarch to his family. Final days on earth and experience in the spirit world. Happy are the r- righteous says a midrash who before they depart this world instruct their children as did Abraham. Near the end of Abraham's life following the pattern of the aged Abraham Adam who had gathered his righteous posterity to give them his last instructions and blessing abraham gathered all his family in a family reunion the incident is told in the book of jubilees which relates that abraham summoned ishmael and his twelve children isaac and his two children and the six children of keturah and their sons and urged them to keep the way of the lord so that they should do what is right and that they should love one another and love the god of heaven and hold fast to all his commandments later speaking to isaac abraham reminded him of his own lifetime of obedience as jubilees also relates throughout all the days of my life i have remembered the lord and sought with all my heart to do his will and to walk uprightly in all his ways for he is the living god and do thou my son observe his commandments and his ordinances to the very last abraham was teaching his posterity to keep the law of the lord But as valuable as is such information from Jubilees, which has come down through us through Jewish channels, we may surmise that Abraham's final instructions were empathetically focused on what Nephi and Moroni emphasized in their final testimony and testament, an invitation to believe in Christ and come unto Christ. Like Abraham's Nephite descendants, he had spent a lifetime talking of Christ, rejoicing in Christ, preaching of Christ, and prophesying of Christ. Abraham had been repeatedly visited and tutored by Christ, who had even welcomed him at the divine throne and shown him the Savior's own future mortal ministry. Later, in obedience to the Savior's request, Abraham had acted out the most poignant prophetic similitude ever of the atonement, learning the depth of the divine love that would make the atonement possible. Abraham's final testimony of his Son of God would have been uniquely and unforgettably powerful. And as Abraham testified of the Son of God to the last, so did he serve him to the last by attending to the least of his brethren. As told in the Testament of Abraham, he continued to welcome and care for the needy and the downtrodden, remaining ever the magnanimous friend of mankind, hospitable and loving to the end of his life. Abraham's long life was but an exercise in perfect service, and never was there a selfish consideration. The Testament of Abraham further relates that, as the end drew near, God sent to Abraham an angel, who announced he was from the great city, come to apprise Abraham of his impending death. You are about to leave this vain world and depart from the body, and you will come to your own master among the good. The angel, one of the three who, decades decades earlier, had visited Abraham to announce the birth of Isaac, was also instructed to grant to Abraham a last request. Abraham asked that before dying he'd be allowed to see all the inhabited world. Having labored all his days to fulfill the divine mandate to bless all nations by establishing Zion over the entire earth, Abraham now wishes to assess what remains to be done. The angel took Abraham and sat him on the cherubim chariot and lifted him up to the heights of heaven and acted as his guide on the cloud. Riding on the chariot, Abraham soared over the entire inhabited world and beheld the world and all of its inhabitants, the righteous as well as the wicked. It is perhaps for this that he was remembered among the Hebrews as the eye of the world. Abraham's experience echoes that of Enoch, who had been lifted up and seen all the inhabitants of the earth, and who Abraham now saw as he was taken on a tour of heaven. Enoch, the teacher of the heaven and earth and the scribe of righteousness, was acting as scribe in the Lord's judgment of souls. The picture must have turned Abraham's mind again to the glorious scenes of the latter days. Rabbinic tradition adds that God then showed Abraham the unspeakably glorious reward that awaited him, even his eternal portion in the celestial paradise. Abraham beheld a place abundant in light, inhabited by myriads of radiant angels, in paradisiacal scenes full of exquisite flowers and stately trees watered by serene streams. He inhaled the sweet fragrances, listened to strains of angelic choirs, saw the tree of life, and experienced infinite delight. Although informed that all this was but a small part of the paradise that lay in store for him, Abraham longed to remain there and pled with the Lord to take his soul to its rest. Jubilees relates that Abraham's passing occurred when Isaac and Ishmael and all of their families had come to Hebron to be with Abraham to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Abraham rejoiced because his two sons had come. As they feasted, Abraham lifted his voice one last time in praise and thanksgiving to his creator. I give thanks to thee, my God, because thou hast caused me to see this day. I am now 175 years of age, old, and with my time completed, and all of my days were peaceful for me. The sword of the adversary has not overcome me in all that thou hast given me and my children all the days of my life. My God, may Thy mercy and Thy peace be upon Thy servant and upon Thy seed of His sons, that they may be to Thee a chosen nation and an inheritance from among all the nations of the earth, from henceforth until all the days of the generations of the earth and to all the ages. Calling his grandson Jacob, the chosen patriarchal heir with a mandate and authority to establish Zion over all the earth, Abraham then pronounced his final blessing, invoking the blessings of heaven upon Jacob and his seed forever, and urging Jacob to keep the commandments of your father Abraham. Young Jacob was tired, and the two lay together on one bed, and Jacob slept in the bosom of Abraham, who kissed him seven times, and his heart rejoiced over him. And while Jacob yet slept, Abraham blessed him with all of his heart, asking the Lord that thy grace and thy mercy be upon him and upon his seed. And may thine eyes be opened unto him and Upon his seed, that thou mayest preserve him, and bless him, and sanctify him as a nation for thine inheritance, and bless him with all thy blessings, and renew thy covenant and thy grace with him and with his seed unto all the generations of the earth. With that, Abraham blessed the God of gods, and covered his face, and stretched out his feet, and slept the sleep of eternity, and was gathered to his fathers. During all of this time, Jacob was lying on the bosom, and did not know that Abraham his grandfather was dead. As Jacob awoke from his sleep, and behold, Abraham was cold as ice, and he said, O father, father, and none spoke. And he knew that he was dead, and he rose up from his bosom, and ran, and told Rebekah his mother. And Rebekah went to Isaac in the night, and told him. And they went together, and Jacob also went with them, and a lamp was in his hand. And when they went, they found Abraham lying dead, and Isaac fell upon his father's face, and wept, and kissed him. And the sound was heard in Abraham's house, and Ishmael his son arose and went to Abraham his father, and he wept for Abraham his father, he and all of Abraham's house, and they wept bitterly. The sadness spread quickly, for according to Jewish tradition, when the inhabitants of Canaan heard that Abraham was dead, they all came with their kings and princes and all their men to help bury Abraham, and all the inhabitants of the land and all those who had known Abraham wept the men and women mourned over him and all the little children and all the inhabitants of the land wept on account of abraham for abraham had been good to them all and had been upright with god and men how many untold stories of compassion and kindness by abraham are covered in that brief report alluding to what the poet wadsworth called the best portion of a good man's life his little nameless unremembered acts of kindness and of love in addition, all the great ones of the nations of this world came to pay their respects lamenting. Woe to the world that has lost its leader, and woe unto the ship that has lost its pilot. How profoundly mankind missed their righteous priesthood pa- patriarch, their loving friend and exemplar. But his greatest eulogy was pronounced sometime later by God himself, who, when he appeared to Isaac, renewed his promises once made to Abraham, thereby making isaac and his posterity instruments to bless the world because god declared abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge my commandments my statutes and my laws it was the ultimate lesson in blessing an eternal guide for abraham's posterity as for abraham himself his immortal spirit was as the lord had foretold gathered to his fathers to that glorious realm where he was as described by alma received into a state of happiness which is called paradise a state of rest a state of peace where they rest from all of their troubles and from all their care and sorrow, awaiting the resurrection of the dead, to this realm of righteousness and noble spirits would eventually come to the disembodied Son of God and of Abraham, Jesus the Christ, following his atoning death on the cross, his appearance to those who had accepted him and testified of him in the flesh is described in the vision of the president joseph f smith who specifically mentioned seeing abraham among the vast multitude of spirits the saints rejoiced in their redemption and bowed the knee and acknowledged the son of god as their redeemer and deliverer from death and the chains of hell their countenances shone and the radiance of from the presence of the lord rested upon them and they sang praises unto his holy name dnc 138 23-24 if jesus only a short time later would as a resurrected being appearing to the nephites take time to invite each person of the large crowd to personally take a moment with him individually surely he would have done so now among these his friends and prophets of the reunion of the beloved son with his beloved friend abraham we are not told but the context was poignant having once as the premortal son of god welcomed the mortal abraham at the heavenly throne the savior now again was a spirit but this time so was abraham both soon to rise in the splendor of the resurrection made possible by the savior's atoning sacrifices once foreshadowed by abraham's offering of isaac isaac himself may have been standing next to abraham to welcome the savior whom he had typified both in suffering and rising from death but after the greetings there was much to do As Abraham, who had spent his mortal life preaching the gospel of Christ, now was privileged to participate with Christ, as he organized his forces and appointed messengers clothed with power and authority to go forth and carry the light of the gospel to them that were in darkness, even to all the spirits of men, and thus was the gospel preached to the dead. The same event was described in an early Christian writing known as the Shepherd of Hermas. Which speaks of the apostles and teachers who proclaimed the name of the Son of God, who, having fallen asleep in power and faith of the Son of God, even proclaimed to those who had previously fallen asleep. Those messengers represented the Savior, who would not go in person to the wicked, for his mission was to now rise as the first fruits of the resurrection. But he no sooner left this august assembly of righteous spirits than many of them, certainly Abraham included, followed the Son of God in rising from the dead the graves were opened reports matthew and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many an epistle from ignatius one of the early christian martyrs likewise recounts that the savior's disciples the prophets themselves in the spirit did wait for him as their teacher and therefore he whom they rightly waited for being come raised them from the dead. In the case of Abraham, a Jewish source foretold that the Messiah himself would go to the cave of Machpelah and say unto the fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, arise, you have slept long enough. They arose to glory, for as explained in Latter-day Revelation, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have entered into their exaltation according to the promises where they sit upon thrones and are not angels, but are gods. DNC and 132-37